Welcome to Burned by the Firewall, an Occamsec podcast. Welcome back, guys. We have another exciting episode of Burned by the Firewall in store for you today. We have uh, Jennifer Sabas and Jody Ito from the island of Hawaii joining us on the show. We're going to jump right in and let them tell their stories and, and get to know them a little bit. So uh, I'm going to go alphabetically because there, there's no way I can pick one over the other. So uh, <laughs> Jennifer, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about who you are, where you currently work, and kind of what it is you're doing right now. Sure. Thanks, Mike. Um, and thank you, everyone. So I worked for Senator Danny Noy for 25 years um, in Washington, D.C. and in, in, uh, in Hawaii and retiring out as his chief when he passed in 2012. And so with his passing, I had an opportunity to kind of pick and choose the things that I wanted to pursue kind of carrying on parts of his legacy. So I do a host of nonprofit work as well as my own consulting. And one of the areas um, as part of my work on, with the University of Hawaii was to start to look at cybersecurity and putting together um, kind of a network of, of like-minded people and businesses to start looking at um, making our community um, more cyber secure. Awesome. I think Cyber Hawaii, it, it, the, the affiliation of what you're, what you're speaking to a little bit there is, is one of those threads that binds this all together here, mm -hmm. uh, Jody, Jen, and myself. So with, with that being said, and you mentioned University of Hawaii, Jody, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So aloha everyone and thank you, Mike. My name is Jody Ito, Chief Information Security Officer for the University of Hawaii System. And it's, uh, I feel very fortunate to have been the only information security officer for the university so far. Um, we came into the security realm uh, early on in 2000. I uh, have been with the university for now 38 years. So I've actually been able to watch the transformation from really a card-based pre-internet environment into where we are today. And it's been such an interesting journey and I think that what I really want to highlight is the fact that this is a dynamic field right? as um, technology grows and infuses every parts of our life. You know, the security component to it also increase, increases at a very rapid rate. So um, we appreciate the time and opportunity to tell our stories and to bring in the larger community um, as a whole. Well, you talk about, Jody technology sort of moving at a fast pace. And what I want to do is rewind a little bit and I want mm -hmm. to ask you when you were growing up what was one of your favorite pieces of like childhood technology <laughs> I will give away my age I was born in 1960 so there wasn't much technology back then so I have to admit my favorite childhood technology were boxes string sticks and fabric because you can make anything out of those things. I, I would spend hours like, you know, putting the box up on a stick with string and catching birds. Of course, I let them go. But, you know, it was just, you know, learning how to be creative with what was available. And I think that still transforms and translates into today's time and age. So, yeah. And so technology doesn't have to be, you know, the mechanics and the digital bits and bytes but it's whatever you have at hand that you can use to create something. I like that perspective. I do. Because mm -hmm. I, I grew up sort of on the cusp of those, those two worlds where we didn't have technology for, for a while, and then all of a sudden we had it. So I can relate to the just going outside and playing with sticks and playing in the dirt and jumping in puddles <laughs> and just being creative. But then 
I can also relate to being caught up in the, the world technology that we are today. Jennifer, do you have a, a favorite piece of childhood technology? You know, I will give away my age. So I'm only one year younger than Jody. I actually had to think about that question for quite a while, you know, kind of what, so I'm going to say Etch-a-Sketch. That okay. was my favorite. I would sit, you know, for hours, like trying to, um, you know, and then if not Etch-a-Sketch, then Lego. I was a Lego lover. Um, and for whatever reason, my oldest son is also, um, so I'm like, maybe there was a little genetics there, but yeah, but times are so different, right? I mean, even when you try to define what technology was back then, so I love Jody's answer as well. And I think sometimes, right, because we make it so easy for our kids with all the technology, they lose a bit of their creativity um, and, and imagination because it's just kind of, you know, on delivery for them, so. Yeah, this is true. Exactly to that point. Um, I actually have a couple of nephews and whenever we get together, they're glued to their screen. So for a while, I was a little worried that they wouldn't be able to communicate well as adults. <laughs> um, so you, you work and you ask them questions and you draw out answers. But that's something I think we need to be very cognizant about um, to making sure that people don't lose their social skills mm -hmm. as we get so immersed into our digital technologies and environment these days. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, I want to sort of ask, you know, we're trying to help maybe young professionals, um, you know, who are looking to find a way into the IT or cybersecurity segment. So kind of balance and understand what that life is. And it's a, it's a hectic, it's a hectic life, right? But for you ladies, and I'm going to start with Jennifer first on this one, what's one of the things that you do outside of, of computer stuff, outside of work, uh, hobby? these stress relievers, things that you do here in Hawaii to help maintain your balance? Hmm. Uh, adult beverages? No. Um, <laughs> that too. <laughs> um, Second. Fair. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Um, family, right? I mean, uh, I have three sons um, and they're, you know, they're on the mainland and I coax them back with some regularity. Um, so I, so a lot of, um, a lot of family for me. Um, my dad is, is 91 and I tell people, you know, he still lives on his own, but the one silver lining that COVID has brought is an opportunity for me. So I spend every day with him. So this is, I'm in my house right now, as soon as I'm done here, right, I'll go, he's like five minutes away from me. We'll have a really nice lunch together and kind of spend that time that I know had COVID not been, a, you know, not been a pandemic for us, I'd be on the road. I'd have, you know, 5,000 other things to do. So. I think kind of, you know, slowing it down, hit, hitting the, the pause button a little bit. Um, but I do stand by my first answer as well, adult, adult beverages. <laughs> Thank you, Jennifer. Jody, how about, how about you? So I have to admit, I'm really, really bad at that work-life balance. Um, so when I was younger, and a lot more active, physically active. I would love to do stuff like go out rollerblading. You know, I'd take vacations to go snow skiing, really um, a lot of hiking. Um, but, you know, the body sort of breaks down as <laughs> we get to that age. Um, so really more, uh, I try to carve out time to spend it with my husband and family and friends. And lots of times it's over a good meal that involves adult beverages. Uh, but it, it's really about knowing what is important to you and what, how you restore yourself, right? So it's about knowing your personality and all. And, and that takes a lot of introspection. And for me, it was really, there were times when I just really lost myself because I got so buried into the work and all of that. 
So it's also listening to the people around you to pick up on their cues mm -hmm. so that you can help balance, step back and, and balance yourself out. So um, I think having your support structure is very important. And then, you know, not just blowing them off, but really listening to them. And I was really sad when I lost my mom because she was sort of my, my buffer and she would just mm -hmm. tell me, you know, I don't know who you are these days. You're such a cold person, right? And at that time, I didn't listen. But as you get older yes. and you really start listening to their wisdom, it, it really made sense. So, yeah, just being able to listen to yourself and to others around you. And Jody, I, I, I'm the same way. I have, a, I have a hard time finding that balance. And I, and I can relate to your story. As I first got out here to Hawaii 17 years ago, all I wanted to do was just be active and, and kind of have that balance, you know, go work and then go play. But as I've sort of become older, I will say that reluctantly, and uh, mm -hmm. just dove more deeply into my career and my profession, it's, it's been very difficult to do that. And you're right, you have to sort of have someone that holds you accountable, in my perspective anyways, to pull you away from, from that work. And I think mm -hmm. it's especially been hard this year with, with COVID, from my perspective, again, just being stuck at the desk, stuck in the house, it's really hard to break away. So if you're having those challenges out there, you're not alone. Um, just yeah. you know, tr try to do your best to reach out to your support uh, system and, and get that balance back in your life. Even if it is adding another Zoom meeting with your friends, oh, I know. right? I mean, it's yes. true. Yeah. Yep. So I've actually made a conscious effort to reach out to peers who we'd normally see when we go to conferences and then just spend social time, not necessarily talking about work. Um, but again, it's just, you know, making sure that we have that continuous bond and relationship with people. Mike, as you said, we are just so isolated nowadays yep. that... Um, we have to be conscious of what we're doing and it, it's hard. It's really hard, but mm -hmm. you know, it is. Just, yeah. Um, speaking of, speaking about what it is that we're doing, I want to jump into the segment about what it is you ladies are doing right now. I know there's an affiliation with cyber Hawaii with a group called Compu girls. And I want to dive into this segment with you and learn a lot more about what Compu girls is and, and what you guys are looking to accomplish. So, I'll leave it open to you to, to who answers this first question, but maybe you guys can tell us a little bit about just who CompuGirls is and, and you know, what it is you guys are doing with, with CompuGirls right now. Sure. So, Jordi, I'll start with the big framework, and then um, if you take it over, right, with the more um, more day-to-day -day and technical. Um, so, Cyber Hawaii um, received an invitation from Arizona State, who is the grant recipient um, from um, Department of Defense, the STEM, the STEM office of the STEM Center. And so CompuGirls, right, is, is more of a trade name, but it, it's focused on um, encouraging girls, high school, in the, in the high school area, to learn um, more about STEM and to possibly be interested in cyber and to begin to get them on a career track. Um, it's exciting and interesting. When Arizona State reached out to Cyber Hawaii, we immediately reached out to the University of Hawaii to be our partner, because um, we're, we're always partnered together. And the target really was um, girls of color or girls from underrepresented communities, as well as um, girls from military families, because it is, it is DOD. And because we have such a huge military population, Arizona State asked um, Hawaii to be the first. So it is the first year of this program that Hawaii start the program off. Um, so we're actually really proud of the diversity of our girls as well as our students. So Jody, you want to you talk and brag a little bit about the girls and the teachers that we have? So absolutely. Um, so this program is running 
for six Saturdays uh, from 9 to 12. And we were able to successfully recruit 49 girls to participate from all islands, from public and private schools, from military families, from the uh, local communities. And also of importance is from the um, girls from the Youth Challenge Program. And the teachers we have, we recruited them from our education sector. So we actually have five amazing teachers and one industry professional, uh, Ken, who is actually quite, I think, proficient in leading the girls through the curriculum. And what's fascinating about that is you can actually see the girls ask really intelligent questions around the curriculum and they starting to apply what they're learning to their lives. And so it's just been so amazing to watch. And remember, this is outside of regular school mm -hmm. curriculum. And so to get them on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m., I thought was quite For three incredible. hours, three hours. <laughs> yeah. And they're focused and engaged. And, um, you know, again, the, the teachers have done a fantastic job. And then also with bringing in external speakers to serve as mentors and to offer some career advice. So it, it's been fun. It's been just so, I think, and I'm hoping it's going to be as transformational for them as it was for me. So this Saturday is our last. Um, and so the girls were all in cohorts and they're going to present their PSAs. Um, we are going to take a break because um, we are rolling into the holiday season. There is a spring camp opportunity. We had really hoped that it would be, um, you know, kind of a, a, a spring camp right at the University of Hawaii. We're probably not sure that's going to happen. Um, so we may have to do the virtual thing all over again. And so the goal really is to keep this cohort of girls right through the year and then um, either, you know, do some early college credit. Um, and then I, I'm thinking Arizona will do theirs next year, right? So the, the goal is to have this continuing cohort of girls, young women graduating from high school and then matriculating um, on into um, pathways in, in the STEM space and in particular in the cyber arena. And then are, are you ladies thinking about is this going to be a repetitive program year over year or is it going to be this cohort in and of itself that you guys are nurturing and, and, and moving along their, their own timeline? I think it's going to be this cohort for now. And then there'll be, you know, maybe one, two, three years. In be and then I think we may start again. Cause I think it's, it, the goal is to grow an army. Got it. And then since we have this cohort, I actually am going to very selfishly um, offer them more opportunities to participate. Mm -hmm. So, the yep. University of Hawaii has been participating for the last five years in the National um, Security Agency's Gen Cyber program. So that would be a subsequent opportunity, a different one mm -hmm. that they could participate in. And there's also a lot of other things such as Cyber mm -hmm. Patriots or the National Cyber League. Um, so there's a variety of activities that I think we could offer to them and hopefully expand their options and interests. So can you ladies tell some of our listeners maybe where they can find more information about, you know, CompuGirls if they're interested um, or if they just want to learn more about any of those other affiliations that you just uh, discussed? Sure. It's on, it's on the Cyber Hawaii um, website. So just type in Cyber Hawaii and there's a link to the CompuGirls um, page. And for the Gen Cyber program, I believe it's Gen Cyber is, has there been or can you talk about any one success story or some somebody that stands out or has there been anything like that that you can speak on or would like to speak on? 
Well, I, I would just like to, to, to add, um, so um, Jody, we, we, we made passing reference to the Youth Challenge Program um, mm -hmm. in Hawaii, and that is, it's run by the National Guard, it's a National Guard Bureau Program. Hawaii is one of the um, very active chapters, if you will. So these are students um, that have had difficulty at home, um, they would be considered at-risk kids. Um, so they go into a dormitory setting. That's where they, you know, either um, uh, go and get their GED after they they complete those tasks. They, you know, um, for the most part, um, go on and join the military, right? So I think we have bragging rights because five of our forty nine girls are from the um, the Youth Challenge Program on Hawaii Island. Very rural, um, not that many opportunities, and. I know there was a little bit of worry about taking five. Um, they have all hung in there and they're rocking and rolling. And so I'm personally incredibly proud of that. Absolutely. I would love to be able to track them in the future because um, mm -hmm. right? I think it presents a different opportunity for them and it, it, their future is bright, very, very bright. So I think this is a great segue into the next segment that I want to dive into with you ladies. And that is, you know, talking about recruiting talent into your organization or into your affiliations and sort of building a team. And that's a topic that we'd like to talk about with our guests, just because there's a lot of different approaches, a lot of different philosophies. And again, if you're someone in college or someone in the industry who's looking to, to change into cybersecurity or get into IT, um, you know, this is information that you might be interested in. So Jody, we, we know your position at University of Hawaii uh, we know certainly there's lots of data and lots of important things to protect there. And building your security team there, what's been your approach and, and sort of your objectives? So that's actually been quite a challenge. Um, again, we run what I consider lean and mean. So we don't have a lot of security professionals. In fact, I just started adding people to my security team. Uh, probably after our first major data breaches and our class action lawsuit. So you always want to leverage any particular incident and try to improve your security posture and your security program. So prior to that, I was an army of one. And subsequently, so that was back in about uh, 2010. So where we are now today, I've added three people to the team very successfully, but it was very strategic. So initially, um, we needed somebody who could actually help with the forensics investigations, as well as the technical analysis of what an attack looks like and as it's coming in and how can we identify it and uh, mitigate it. So after that, though, it starts stepping back and say, okay, now we're able to better understand our network and the technical attacks on the university, but we have so much data that's so decentralized and managed by so many people to manage the risk around that is now we have to classify the data and then apply different protections around the data, more, uh, I'm sorry, tighter security around the more sensitive information. So then we have to come up with what we consider data governance and then coming up with an information security awareness program. So now we're stepping back and trying to figure out, okay, what are the best messages and how do we educate our university community about their responsibilities in handling and protecting the data that they're touching on a daily basis. 
So we've actually gone from a more technical focus in terms of information security to a very broad brushstroke where we're talking about individual um, awareness programs as well as instituting a university-wide data governance program. So now people who are using sensitive and regulated data have to fill out a form and it would go through the proper approval process to make sure that we understand where the data is being used, how much of the data is being used, is it being shared externally with the universities, and then having to branch into vendor management programs where is that vendor going to protect the data at the mm -hmm. level that the university is requiring. So, uh, you know, I have two other people. One is just basically broad stroke, helping in all of the utility tools and programs that we are developing because people have to uh, do things like report their repositories of personally identifiable information, which is actually mandated by the state of Hawaii. And then we're also doing device registration for servers because that's where people store sensitive information. So we're trying to get a better sense, again, across the entire university landscape of data. So it is now data and risk driven in terms of our security approach. So that's broadly how we've been building up the team um, with our current pandemic and economic situation. You know, even though regulations are increasing by leaps and bounds. So we just don't have enough people to be able to address it at the depth necessary. So, you know, we're doing as best we can. We're working with as many partners as we can. Uh, but for example, with the whole defense industrial base, right, people who have defense contracts, there's a whole slew of requirements mm -hmm. around a new regulation called the cybersecurity maturity model certifications, which will have direct impact on these defense contractors. So, you know, universities, we're a defense contractor, so we also have to address that. So that's been sort of my latest focus, in addition to um, student financial aid data, having the Graham Leach Bliley Act applied to our student financial aid data. So that just hit us last year. So uh, this whole regulation space is mm -hmm. the thing that's now keeping me up at night. Interesting. For, for sure, I think that that is something that, that we see with a lot of our clients as well. Mm -hmm. when, when those different regulations come into place, that's, that's when things start to get interesting. Uh, but from a leadership perspective, that's how you can leverage, uh, you know, that to get where you want to get uh, strategically. You know, even though it may be perceived as a negative or a challenge in the short term, you can leverage it for the long term, right? So I think that's something that we definitely see as well. Um, so on one hand, we have Jody over here herding birds, and that's what she's doing. <laughs> and then on the other hand, we've got Jennifer, who before the show, we talked about being a, a cat herder of sorts. And so, uh, J Jennifer, can you tell us about what it is that, that you're doing to build your cybersecurity team and your influence uh, within Cyber Hawaii and with, really within the, the greater Hawaiian Islands as well? Mm -hmm. Thank you. You know, so Cyber, so cyber Hawaii really started um, as um, an, an organization that would really bring some of the leaders from the private sector as well as the government sector together, um, you know, to share best practices. But really, once they came together, there was really an interest, um, which was very um, uh, heartwarming to me as the director, to really think about how do we work to get those best practices to the sectors 
least able, you know, whether financially or from a capacity standpoint to avail themselves, you know, so I'm talking about the medium and small businesses and the, and the nonprofit sector. Um, and so pre COVID, you know, there, there were a lot of efforts ongoing to think about how do we get best practices to, you know, to our hoteliers or to the retail sector, to the nonprofits. When you think about our nonprofit sector, so many of them deal with very sensitive data, you know, but if they had a hundred dollars, they're going to go take care of their homeless population and they are not going to invest, you know, in, in greater security until their whole system crashes and then they're at a loss. I mean, you know, Mike, you and I have talked about, um, you know, whether it's different nonprofits, you know, the Bishop Museum, I mean, big for Hawaii, big institutions, you know, that have been hit and breached and have kind of gone down for the count. Um, and so how do we do better there? Um, and so that has been the goal with, with the pandemic. Right, we've had to change how we, as everybody has, how we do business, right, a lot more webinars. And the good thing with that kind of change is we've been able to reach statewide. We've been able to have better um, penetration and conversation with all of our neighboring islands, which, you know, I mean, they're not gonna get on an airplane, but now it's easy for them. And it's amazing um, uh, how much um, interest we get from our neighbor islands, which oftentimes, right, are kind of capacity strapped and, um, you know, and, and more hungry in some ways, I think, um, for knowledge. Um, I do want to make one other comment with regard to, so, so with the pandemic in Hawaii and our tourist industry in the toilet, um, it's become very clear that the second largest sector pre-COVID is really now our major driver, which is defense and government spending. You know, and so in, in years past, you know, having worked on the congressional side, we all know that doing business with the federal government, let alone doing business with DOD, you know, as Dodi mentioned with, with the CMMC, right? If you're a good construction contractor, you, you don't want to do business with the federal, because it's just hard, right? If you can just go help support building a new condo, right? You're going to go do that as opposed to figuring out how to get into that DOD fence line. Well, now... You know, there is an opportunity to herd those cats, those companies, those IT providers that are now willing to look at all the paperwork, you know, um, and that's a huge opportunity for us. Because I do think, Mike, the, right, either the follow-on question, right, to what you asked us is, so how do we now get, you know, that pipeline of our students, you know, um, to be credentialed, to be, because there are opportunities. You know, I've been on a couple calls and projects of late that, Right, so we have defense is still spending money. Our region, the Pacific region is the region, right? And so from my, my vantage point, I'm seeing a lot of federal dollars moving into our sector and it's in IT, cyber, Intel, right? These are careers that we should be looking um, to train our students and get those pathways. You know, that, that would be, you know, as, as we all kind of evolve our organizations. I mean, that is going to be a next focus that I am going to, that Jody and I will focus on together, just because the opportunities are huge. And it would be such a bummer, right, if we allow the previous practices, right, the parachuting in of, right, of skills from the mainland um, without, without that resident opportunity, really working hard to get our students those opportunities. And with that, um, you know, really there's been a renewed and increased focus and in providing the opportunities for the students. So along with the Compu Girls program, that's one where we're trying to engage with middle and high schoolers because it, 
doesn't just start at college. It has mm -hmm. to start earlier so that we can get them interested. We can present them with the scholarship opportunities that they may have if they were to pursue a cyber or STEM career in higher education. And uh, then we can then provide them with internship mentorships and also introduce them to the business community already mm -hmm. um, with these careers in intelligence opportunities. So we just had a virtual job fair um, bringing in, and we put it together in a really short notice. So we only had like maybe about 13, Two weeks. Or, three yeah. weeks. <laughs> 13 or so um, companies, but the students came from every campus. So from all 10 of our campuses, um, which they wouldn't be able to do pre-pandemic because it would have to be on site. But what it does is show them the government and intelligence career opportunities that you really don't have any visibility into mm -hmm. from just a normal citizen. So my thing is, had I known about these jobs back in when I was in high school, my path might have been different, right? Mm -hmm. I might have had a government career job in intelligence because some of the missions are just absolutely fascinating. Fascinating, yep. yeah. And, you know, it, it's just, yeah, I, I think that then they can make more, um, I guess, educated choices about their education in higher education as well as um, certifications and then into the workforce and just because you know we're in cyber it doesn't mean that you have to be that computer scientist it doesn't mean you're a computer engineer yep. you can come yep. from the communication specialties right because language language right mm -hmm. intelligence so mm -hmm. attorneys medical field right when you look at bioinformatics and trying to protect that data and then we also need data scientists out the wazoo because you have these huge data lakes coming from everywhere. Uh, so the opportunity into intelligent cyber, cybersecurity is not just technical driven. Mm -hmm. It's all sectors of our mm -hmm. academic profiles. If I'm going to summarize what it is you guys are doing for the community, you are essentially becoming a mentor for them and trying mm -hmm. to show them how to get from where they're at to you know, a better place in the future. And I know for myself, like you, Jody, I did not cultivate my career in IT from day one. It was uh, a change of plans for me. I, I was a business major. I have my master's in business. Uh, I, I worked in the business sector for, for a long time as a manager. And then I got laid off and I got presented an opportunity in cybersecurity. And the, the one thing that was the most important for me was my mentor having someone to, to show me the ropes and where to go and, and what I needed to, to know about the industry that maybe I didn't know. So for me, that was very important. And I want to, you don't have to name names, but maybe you could speak to the importance or if you want to name a name, that's fine. But the importance of, of finding a mentor in your career and in your experience in, in IT and just in general. So for me, I think I was very fortunate to, one, learn work ethics from my family. So my mom, she mm. drilled work ethics into uh, me from a very small kid time, right? <laughs> or what you call it, small kid time. Um, <laughs> but I think that transcends itself into how you attack a new profession. So uh, I, I was very, very fortunate to be um, among professionals that I respect, and one of which today is the president of our university, mm -hmm. David Lasner. So um, I had the opportunity to learn from him early, early on in my career. And then I've always been able to look at the leadership around me and 
try to ascertain what skills or what do I need to do differently to improve and mold myself for the future. Uh, because again, technology is not stagnant, right? So we always have to be looking to the future. Um, and then, you know, just picking those people. Um, and you don't even have to tell them that they're your mentor, right? You just be, are able to identify the traits, talk story mm -hmm. with them, ask questions, and then, you know, internalize that and uh, formulate that into a plan for yourself. Um, so in today's day and age, you can actually get that mentorship from a lot of different places. So, you know, it was my supervisors and my leaders before, and now it's more around my peers, right? My colleagues from other mm -hmm. higher education institutions where we're facing similar problems, you know, reach out to those that you think can help you and ask questions because sometimes they don't necessarily know how to mentor. Right? And it's just about reaching out and forming that relationship that then becomes a mentorship relationship. Sometimes it's just your good buddy right? who's you know, right. able to offer you the right advice at the right time. Um, and so one of my high school friends actually offered me this. It says, you know, sometimes you might not understand why something is happening to you now. But if you just accept it and then internalize it and use it to leverage your future, then I think you grow from it, right? You don't, it, you don't dwell on the negative. You just basically take it, learn, and then move forward from it. So, um, so that's the kind of thing as to my pathway into my philosophy in life, I'd say, which also then transcends into work. That's great. I love that. So my path is a little different. Like as, as, as I told Mike, right, I mean, I am not like an IT cyber. I'm just kind of a bossy girl, you know? So um, so when I was on Capitol Hill, um, there were no women chiefs of staff in the United States Senate, like zero. Um, and in our, in our congressional delegation was Congresswoman Patsy Ming. Um, I would have done anything to have her be my mentor. Um, but she was fiery. She was busy, you know, and she, no time, you know, she's got, you know, she's got causes to fight. And so I watched her. Um, from afar, trying to learn as best, you know, and it did two things. Um, one, um, I committed myself, right, that if I ever got to a position of leadership, that I would definitely take the time to be a mentor um, and be welcoming of that, you know, um, kind of, you know, so we, we um, admired her from afar, but never really had the guts because it wasn't kind of the time to, to be able to do that. And it's like, oh, mentor, that wasn't happening. So, I mean, my mentor, you know, and the one I adored and worked with my entire young adult life was Senator Inouye. Um, and he was amazing because he never gave you the answer. He would give you like these, right? He never made it easy. Um, and back then, like I said, so now more than 50% of the chiefs of staff, as it should be, are women in the United States Senate. You know, and so I, when I was, when I became chief, there were maybe three of us, you know, and it, and it was still hard because it was a very different time. You know, when you think, when I first started on Capitol Hill, you could smoke cigarettes, cigars, and it was really about the three martini lunch. You know, I mean, the times have so, have so, you know, but his best advice to me wow. and, um, and what this is not intended, it's just reality, you know, um, uh, so being a woman early in Capitol Hill, it really, it was, it was kind of tough. And so you, you either make your bones or you go home, you know, it was kind of, right. And so his comment to me was his, his, the message I always remember was, right, 
and I can't do the voice thing, but it was never see them sweat. And for God's sakes, do not cry. If you don't know the answer, get out of there, get back to the office, figure it out, compose yourself and get back in the fight. And the, I always remember that. Right? The cry was me. Like in the beginning, I used to go into his, I'm like, you me to me, you know? And then, and then I just had to, right? Then you just got to kind of find your space and your voice um, and go back out and, and fight that fight. Which is really interesting because I'm born and raised here in Hawaii and I grew up in a family with brothers and I had all boy cousins. So I was almost mm. gender blind, small kids, mm. because we were just a gang. We got on our bikes, rode around <laughs> the neighborhood. You know, we all you know, played army together. We all had jump rope and played jack. So it wasn't actually any gender mm. kind of divisiveness. Um, but I, I think to your point, though, a lot of times we get cornered into situations and, and as women, mm -hmm. I get mad and I start crying tears of anger. But when you're in those situations, you cannot do that. Can't you do that. really cannot do that. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Yeah, and I remember once being, being in a very difficult position with a supervisor and it was um, director, male, and we're coming together, being reorganized into a single unit. And I remember sitting in my boss's office and then also being with this director who I actually didn't know at all. And the first thing that other director said is, you know, I'm going to take over all of the offices in Keller Hall. And I just, you know, pause in a way. What? Yeah. I just, no, I just went over my dead body. Oh. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, that was a little confrontational. But, you know, to me, it's like, I didn't start it. But, you know, the lesson learned there is even when you're faced with aggression, you know, mm -hmm. don't respond in the same way. I should have probably been, you know, like, well, let's talk this out, right? But, you know, at that time I was young and fiery. And, <laughs> and so how do you get through those situations? But all, always it's about stepping back when you're calmer and, um, yeah, just do the self-reflections, I think, mm -hmm. to Jen, to your point, right? It, it's, again, trying to not show that anger, emotion, tears, which is um, maybe a little different today, but I think yeah. it still carries a lot through. I, I still feel that. Yeah, for sure. I think I can relate to, to being, you know, frustrated and angry in situations when things don't go your way, because oftentimes they don't. And, um, you know, I think, Jody, you, you had a great point that, that hits home and resonates with me just, just recently is, you know, you can't dwell on the negativity. You just have mm -hmm. to sort of inter internalize it and oh, figure out how, how to move suck forward. And <laughs> that's it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that's the bottom line. So, and in a lot of cases, you know, as professionals, we have things to protect, we have jobs to do. And it, with that in mind, I want to hit on our last segment. And that is, you know, the emerging threats that you folks are seeing um, in Hawaii or within your sector. And this might mean different things. You know, Jody, again, you being at UH might mean something a little differently than what Jen is doing with the Cyber Hawaii um, affiliations. But uh, Jennifer, why don't you start and then Jody, you can, you can finish it up uh, on this question. Well, I guess I see threats. I'm going to go back to um, like threats as an opportunity. I, I, I see huge opportunities um, because Hawaii is such a strategic location, um, talking to defense leaders, the opportunity for Hawaii to play a much bigger role. Um, and by bigger role, I really mean the ability to train more of our young people and put them in those careers. Um, the pivot to the Pacific, you know, notwithstanding the pandemic, um, is real. And I, um, with those threats, I wanna make sure that we position our community um, 
you know, to, to be at the forefront, you know, in, in being um, partners with defense and being solvers um, and protectors of the threats that we see out there. And so more from the technical side, um, the types of threats we're seeing are actual, you know, it goes from the basic traditional cyber criminals that's trying to steal your sensitive data and then encrypt it for ransomware. Uh, we're seeing a lot of the standard phishing attacks that says, hi, I'm this foreign country. I have this money for you in your name. Um, but then we're also seeing more targeted, sophisticated spear phishing attacks where the attackers are spending time to learn about your organization, know who's in the leadership position, and then sending targeted messages to their employees um, and then impersonating their supervisors. And it's in their field of expertise. So it could be the director of the procurement office, let's say, and then some of their um, staff are getting emails from the impersonating the director saying that, hey, you know, please pay this invoice to this bank account. There's been a change, right? So um, it's much more sophisticated, mm -hmm. targeted. So we have to train people to recognize that. Mm -hmm. And don't be afraid and pick up the phone and verify this to make sure it's okay. Um, but then additionally, we're seeing more of what we're calling the um, sophisticated nation state attacks where they're targeting mm -hmm. our research data, trying to infiltrate our networks and be what we call low and slow so that we cannot detect them with our traditional um, mm -hmm security technology. So how do we identify those? How do we close up the ranks around that? So it's now expanding from our traditional institutional information data, which is social security numbers, student information, credit card numbers, to more of the undefined data, such as research data, and how do we help protect that? Um, so it, it really is the game is stepping up in terms of security and the threats around us. And then the attackers are now coming in through the subcontractors or through um, your vendors. So let's mm -hmm. say for us, it was an energy monitoring system that we had set up a server to do monitoring in the building. Somebody forgot to change a default password and then they're coming in through that mechanism. So they're looking not at your strong network presence, but they're coming in through sort of the back doors and side channels. So um, that's a little bit on the technical side about how this is all changing. Before we close out, I just, I wanna sort of give you ladies the floor. If there's anything you wanna ask um, each other or me or anything that you <laughs> want to maybe just make as a, a closing point, I just wanna give you time to, to share whatever it is you'd like to share. Uh, Jennifer, we can start with you. You know, I think I think the message is to my message actually is to the is to the the young women and young girls. You know that um, uh, right. Follow your dreams. Never ever settle for, um, and you just got to go for it. And um, right, be confident enough. Look for those around you that can support you, um, but always reach for your dreams. Always, and yeah. social distance, <laughs> and wear your mask, <laughs> and wash your hands. <laughs> and take the vaccine shot when it's available <laughs> so we can start traveling again oh my lord right and, and actually <laughs> see people and, and talk to people so we don't have to do this over zoom uh, while we do still have these connections you know through technology i really do miss the physical handshake mm -hmm. aloha hug hug yeah <laughs> right but um yeah I, to what jen said it's really about not limiting yourself into what you think is a traditional path. Know that you can explore anything at any time. 
you can shift careers, you know, just because I'm in computer sciences, I started off programming, but then I evolved into help desk and then I evolved into security and the security field hasn't expanded. I mean, it just basically exploded. Um, so you can be an attorney in cybersecurity. You can be in healthcare in cybersecurity. Um, you know, you can be in contracts and grants in cybersecurity. Um, but just know that everything is new and that you have no limits exactly what jen said so you know and, and you don't have to know it right now you can mm -hmm. do it in 10 years right and and the fact that hawaii as a physical island should not be a limitation either mm -hmm. right this pandemic has shown us that you can work from anywhere so let's make sure that we get the technology out there to those rural areas to make sure that there is equal access opportunity. to job opportunities for everybody. So we still have a lot of work to do on the infrastructure side, but this pandemic has proven to us that we can do this um, and keep the local kids local. So, so, and thank you for the opportunity for us yes, to get you. on a little soapbox and, and talk about all of this. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, you, you, you ladies have been absolutely a pleasure to have on on the show. I think, um, again, I, I just want to let you know how much I appreciate your time and how much I appreciate all the hard work that you guys are doing in the community. I, I agree wholeheartedly with with much of what you guys are saying. And I think, you know, we look forward to maybe having you guys on again um, in, in a little bit and get some updates on, on how things are going and where you're at and sort of do a temperature check maybe six months down the road. Uh, but I guess until then, again, thank you for, for tuning in. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll see you next time.